Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The habit of play. How many of you are good at the habit of play? Is that comes naturally to you? Anybody? Are there any real serious people that have a hard time playing? Maybe? Okay, good, good. This sermon's for all of us. I'm not just going to pick on you today, but uh, the habit of play. We're talking about the eight habits of love, and I think we're on the fifth or fourth or fifth. We talked about the habit of generosity, the habit of still, being still, the habit of truth and candor, and now play. All these habits are designed to do one thing, to open you and me up to the gift of love, so that God might use us to love other people. So today, the habit of play. Lynn Sweet, in his book, The Well-Played Life, begins with the 19th century immigrant who, after passing through Ellis Island by way of the Statue of Liberty, found himself walking on the train tracks uh, at the Lehigh Valley Railroad in New Jersey. On his back and in his arms, he carried everything he brought with him from the old country. Though fatigued and footsore, he shuffled along the rails until an agent stopped him and warned him to get off the tracks lest he get hit by the tracks or arrested for trespassing. The man refused, instead producing a railroad ticket good from New New Jersey to Scranton. The agent looked at him back and asked why he was walking. Why isn't he riding? The immigrant said he thought the ticket gave him only the privilege of walking the tracks. He had no idea that that ticket would get him on a train. And he danced for joy when he learned he could ride the train instead of walking on those big rocks by the track. Now, I wonder today, I wonder why so many of us us have a ticket to ride, but we got that ticket in our backpack and we choose not to get on that train. You remember that song? I think Rod Stewart sang People get ready. There's a train. It's a coming. You know that one? I wonder why we walk when we can ride. Why we work and trudge and see life as a day-to-day obligation and not as a gift. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the habit of play. The ticket you have in your hobo pouch, friends is a ticket to the habit of play, which we're going to talk about today. Habit of play, I know, doesn't sound legitimate, doesn't sound like it should be in one of the top eight. What are you talking about, Bruce? But we've been given this gift of play by God. I wonder if we hardworking, serious-minded Protestants, Christians, can give ourselves to this incredible habit of play. You better believe it. Play and the habit of play is about witnessing to the fact that we are a risen People, we've got a hope and a future. We've got a destination that's already secured. So why not laugh and play and even joke sometimes? 
Sometimes I have seen the gift and the habit of laughter play out when someone was on their deathbed, lying there at a funeral. When someone is going through insurmountable odds, that's sometimes where the habit of play kicks in and the risen Christ sort of opens up a way for Christ to appear in our hardest of times. But I've seen people covered in guilt too, feeling like they're not doing enough. It seems like this guilt is lurking at our door. We look serious. We appear to be busy. Don't let them see you loafing. Yet so much of discipleship, y'all, looks like wasting time. Listening to someone. Visiting someone. Just letting yourself be stopped in your tracks and noticing something beautiful has, has this kernel of play in it. Has this kernel of play. But the phone rings. Somebody visits your office. How you doing? Man, I'm busy. You just don't know how busy I am. Just working, 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 working. Just too busy. I'm just too busy being an adult walking on train tracks to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Just too busy. I've seen folks dream about retirement, delaying joy. Don't ever delay your joy. I've seen them. You know what? I'm going to dig in and I'm going to work hard and then one day I'm going to get to play and that time never comes. I've seen clergy do this. People that I love who've killed themselves for 40 years doing ministry and then they're not healthy enough because they didn't take the time to play. I'm sure it's happened in your profession too. Christianity is not about work primarily. Christianity is about play. Lynn Sweet says this. This is my first quote. I love that we sang that. Thank you, Sam or Jennifer or whoever picked that song for an offering. But Lynn Sweet says this. It's as if the purveyors of the Protestant work ethic heard Jesus say, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more work. Really? No. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you space to play, even in those tight spaces and narrow spaces in your life where you're having a hard time, you're working hard, and nothing's really coming back your way. It's not, coming, it's, not, it's not materializing the way you wish. Jesus said, come to me, all you who may be disappointed in what your work's doing at this moment or that moment, and I will give you rest. I have come to give you life, and life abundant. I've come to give you play. I've come to give you play. Not I have come to show you how to work harder, but Jesus says, let me show you how much God wants to work with you in the garden, wants to walk with you in the garden, wants to play. Terry Eagleton says this, God is not a mega manufacturer, not a celestial engineer, but an artist who made the world simply for the love and delight of it. I have never heard anybody say, Sam, you tell me, anybody ever ask you what instrument you work? No, it's what instrument you play. Charles Terrell plays the organ at 11 o'clock. He doesn't work the organ. Who wants to work a piano? Now, I know it took a lot of hard work, to, a lot of grit to get where you are and to be as nimble as you are on the keyboard, but the reason we love hearing you play is because you play when you play. Worship is about play. This one hour, what are we doing? What are you doing? Are you trying to be efficient right now this hour? You're wasting time. 
Could have stayed home and got ahead in your week. Could have got an extra hour of rest. Could have stayed asleep. Could have worried about how you're paying the next bill. But no, you're here to play in God's kingdom in worship. We are invited in worship to play with God. To imagine, to give ourselves to wonder and to hope again. Because so much of life, life kind of beats you down. And we remember that. Late in Matthew's gospel... In this Matthew 18, the disciples of Jesus, these students, come to him and ask him a very important question. Teddy talked about it. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, it's so funny when you read that at the very end of chapter 17, you'll see that they're they're asking these real hard questions about taxes and temple tax. Are are you paying taxes, Rabbi? And then he tells his disciples later, later, he actually tells them to go catch a fish and the next fish you catch is going to have a coin in it. Pull the coin out and throw it in there. We don't want to offend anybody. Now, if that's not playful, I don't know what is, right? Because not many fishes I've ever caught have coins in them, right? Almost this practical joke on all these people that surrounded Jesus who were so serious about life they couldn't have any space for laughter or play. And then Jesus grabs a child. Unless you become like this child, you cannot enter into heaven. What? That's right. If you make this journey too much like a long walk to Scranton, you just don't get it. You've missed the point. The point is that you've been made free. Free as a child who doesn't worry about the stock market or the bills or what other people think of her. A child who exhausts himself with the bucket and the shovel on the edge of the ocean. And when the waves come and wipe out his sandcastle, he just starts back again. Unless you become like a child, Jesus says, you just don't get it. You're not getting it. But you can. But a lot of times when we grow up from being a child... We start building our sandcastles further from the waves. We, we teach our children about permanent records and what not to run full speed with in your hand, right? We teach them how to be careful, which is good. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we teach the play out of our kids because we've forgotten how to play ourselves. Unless you become like a child, Jesus said. Children raise their arms to dad or their sister or someone they trust to get picked up. Children live in the moment. They worry about today and let tomorrow take care of itself. They don't usually borrow worry. That has to be taught. Pretty soon they learn that the sandcastle, to move that sandcastle so safe that nothing can touch it. I shall not die, said the psalmist, but live. The psalmist said that because even 2,500 years ago when that was written, the psalmist knew that the heart can stop living long before it stops beating. And play helps us with that. One person in a TED Talk said this, the opposite of play is depression. And oftentimes I can go there, I can get there. I can, and part of, part of how I pick up that Maybe I'm succumbing to some uh, depression, maybe some situational depression. Something is that I've lost my ability to be nimble and to be playful in life. Talk to any couple 
who's made it through the years, the ups and the downs. And I guarantee you they've got a sense of humor to make it as far as they've gotten. I shall not die, but live. So how? How do we become like little children, like Jesus says? That's a, that's a good question. Um, creation gives us some clues. Creation teaches us, if you check out this, this uh, beautiful dog here in the, in the picture, that is the posture of play, right? Rear in the air, just like that. You know they're not going to attack you. You know, if, if, if the meanest looking dog came up to you and ran up to you and they did that, you'd start petting it, right? Because it's inviting you to play. Creation shows us that even, even creation has a way of signaling to us what play looks like. On my Twitter this week, some whales and some dolphins swimming through the water. Do they look like they're doing a job? No. Those dolphins are playing. All for the glory of God. You know, it seems like everybody in creation knows how to play sometimes, except for us. Except for us. Worship itself is a kind of play. Psalmist says, Oh, worship the Lord in beauty and holiness. Dance before God, all the earth. You're a fool whether you dance or not, so you might as well dance. I promise we're going to dance, Ginger, by the way. Ginger wants to dance. Would anybody else like to dance one night around here and learn something new? Okay. we Because, you know, you can't dance and be uptight and too serious at the same time anyway, right? You just can't. Worship. Worship is losing yourself in dance. It's not something technical that we have to do once a week. It's Hopefully it's, it's losing ourselves and getting over ourselves in the serious. Worship in the beauty of God who calls you to the edge of the shore to build a sandcastle that will surely fall into the sea. Worship in the beauty of the Lord who draws in the dirt while a gang of people are ready to stone a sinner. You remember? Jesus is drawing in the dirt while they're saying, Stoner, she has sinned. I've always wondered what Jesus was drawing in the dirt. You know, I don't know what he was drawing. You know what I think he was drawing? My mama thinks that he was writing, where's the man? You know, where's he? Probably one of those guys that had a rock in his hand. I don't know. Jesus drawing in the dirt. Worship the beauty of the prodigal father who is eager to lavish on you and me a love we could have never worked for in the first place. Not about grit in this life, it's about gift and what we do with it. Paul gives us a clue who instructed his churches to never let your zeal flag maintain the spiritual glow. You see, disciples of Christ who know how to play have a sheen about them, a glow that is more beautiful and eloquent than any words you could say or any sermon anybody could preach. Paul says to take it all in. To pull in the glow of God for someone else who's walking on the tracks to Scranton. Looking for just a little bit of joy. God gives us the gift of Sabbath. To rest once a week. To relish in the freedom. To draw in the dirt. To take a hike. To look at the sunset. To stop and be still and know that God is God. Each Sabbath is our chance like a child to raise our arms up and be picked up. My big sister, my dad, 
by the one who called us by name. The word most often translated paradise in English comes, it actually means garden. It actually means garden. Playing and walking with God in the garden is the ultimate metaphor for discipleship. Already in the garden, God strolls looking for us to just come on out. Just get over yourselves and play as a witness to my love. Come swim with the whales. Come hang out with the dog who knows how to play better than we do. I know, I know this all sounds kind of childish. This doesn't sound like serious, biblical, spiritual practice. But let me tell you, I believe, I believe it is. I believe it is. It's more than just something on the side. Hopefully play comes into your very life. Because it's not about setting aside time to play as it is letting God's play come through you into your work, in your stress, in the midst of the ocean of life. You say, well, I got to work, Bruce. I can't play all the time. I get that. But I guarantee you, you work better when you think you're playing. Try working too hard in some field or some job that you are not suited for. Try working in a joyless environment. Every second feels like torture. Try working in a place where everyone is trying to one-up each other and get in the front of the line like those disciples. It doesn't last long. Pretty soon you're not working, you're pretending, you're posing, you're not playing. But see what happens if you fall in love with what you do. See what happens. Maybe your job isn't perfect, but there's something in your job that you love. See what happens when you hold on to that. Have you ever gotten lost in a project that you love that began to carry you? If you find something you love to do, and this is an anonymous quote, I think, or somebody said it. If you find what you love to do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. When you find something in this world that demands your best, it opens up an area for you to play. Have you noticed in Scripture that nobody ever retires? You notice that? It's because people in Scripture have found God and found something that they've fallen in love with. And for them to work is to play and to play is to breathe and to breathe is to worship and to worship is to be connected with God. What are the practical implications? Now, this is real tempting here. I want uh, Daniel to put these up real quick because, you know, the temptation is to try to work harder at play, and that really doesn't work very well, right? It really doesn't work very well. But in Ed Bacon's book, he does give a, a, a few things. If you just want to kind of loosen up the, the soil, the, you know, make a little bit more fertile ground in your life, uh, think about these things this week or this month and ask yourself about your playful side. Allow slack in your line. Ed Bacon, in his book, talks about this incredible fisherman. And those of you who fish, you know you can't pull it too tight, can't leave it too loose, but there is a happy medium. You can't, you can't fish with the line as tight as a banjo, right? You'll never feel the bite. Well, what about you? Where in your life do you need to relieve a little slack so that you can feel the, the fish, the joy, bite in your line? Notice what your body is telling you. This is so true. Body connected to mind, connected to soul. It's all connected. 
Your body will tell you when it's time to play, when you need to play. Now, y'all, I'm not talking about making fun of other people, by the way. I'm not talking about laughing at other people. I'm talking about laughing with other people, right? So, of course, when play is hurting someone else, do no harm, as John Wesley would say. But when you get a chance to infuse a little humor in the situation, you may be sharing the very light of God in your play. Huh? Spend time with children. Notice what they're doing. Notice what they're doing. Children know how to play. They could be great coaches for all of us. Four, learn to laugh at yourself. Oh my gosh. The Dalai Lama was talking one time to thousands upon thousands of people. And was talking, was talking, and made this point, made that point, made this point, made that point. And finally, silence. And everybody thought, ooh, the Dalai Lama must want us to be real quiet. So everybody kind of... But the fact of the matter is, is he forgot his train of thought. He didn't know what else to say. And he just confessed it and admitted it. And the whole room started laughing with him. Y'all, I make a thousand mistakes every Sunday morning. I mean, I just, it's amazing. I can't believe you put up with me. Um, You know, I can't remember people's name. My IQ points go way down, all that kind of stuff. You know, but but it's amazing, you know, because in this worship environment, um, it's really easy to go ahead and admit it and move on. Because worship's not about perfect, right? It's about authenticity, and if, and, and if we can't laugh at ourselves from time to time, I'm not sure if we're really in the presence of God or if we really recognize the presence of God who has given us the gift of laughter. Final thought. I thought about this in my own life and thought about the fact that, I, you know, some of you may or may not know this, but um, I've kind of changed sports at the age of 49. I'm playing tennis my body is sore. I'm getting calls from these new friends who want to play tennis all the time. And I'm just having the time of my life. And, you know, I think... Now, I played golf for 44 or 45 years. Have not thrown away my golf clubs. But um, I've kind of gotten lost in this game called tennis. And I'm like, why am I having so much fun at this? And I'll tell you why. It's because I feel like a beginner again. Makes me feel like a child again learning something new. Now, Melissa Dews was a little hard on me. I'm going to have to call you out, Melissa. So my first match, I'm playing. Boom. I'm hitting it. Moving my feet. I'm moving my feet. And I, and, and I beat this guy, you know. But I feel some negative energy from the side. It's kind of playful. But what happens is, is some people are like, oh, Bruce, you rated yourself too low. You should be a little higher. And so I beat this guy. And so I'm walking up and shaking his hand and, Melissa goes, that's okay, David, you're a better person. <laughs> but you know what, Melissa, you were being playful. I knew you were kidding me. Poke, I said, this, Melissa's cool, you know. And so I loved it. didn't offend me at all. If you, you know, um, but what I'm saying is, is this. What if discipleship is about tennis? But what if it's really about play? What if it's really about all of us knowing that we're all beginners and novices and that God invites us to play along with God in this beautiful universe, to swim with the whales and to hang out with the dogs and to, and to begin to help 
people learn how to laugh at themselves, what would it do in this world, follower of Jesus, if he got better at playing? I'll tell you what would happen. This world would change. And other people would go, can I pick up a racket and play too? That's how the good news works. Because if we are too serious about our own lives, who's going to want to join us? Nobody. Nobody. But if we've learned how to play in the midst of our sorrow and stress and disappointment, if we've learned how to swim, even in the difficult currents, somebody's going to take notice. Some think about the future in dreary ways. You could even go through the Bible and look at some pretty scary scenarios. But you know what Jesus calls the future? A party. A wedding banquet. An excuse when somebody has come home and has been found by God and knows that they have hope again. And the prodigal father says, let's cut the catted calf. I almost did it again. Cut the fatted calf. And Jesus said he threw a party. And there was one guy out there that took himself way too seriously who would not come in. Too bad for that guy because I know there was a lot of playfulness going on in that. Jesus dreamed of each of us discovering that the ticket in our backpacks were good for the ride of your life. He imagined that like that immigrant walking the tracks, it might make us dance too. You're a fool whether you dance or not, so you might as well dance. And the good news for all of us foot-sore adults who have forgotten what it's like to be a child, that we too can be a child again. Let's pray. God, help us to be true to our name. For Lord, this church is called Parkway Heights. Let this place be a park. A place where people can rejoice and fellowship and play and have fun with one another so that your name is lifted up so that people will ask, what is it in you that makes you so playful in this world? May it be so for all of us. Help us to play in your kingdom. Amen.